Welcome to the Pink Tax Podcast, a no-nonsense podcast for millennial women, building wealth and smashing the patriarchy, one dollar at a time, with your hosts, Janine and Tara. today since it is you know still the first month of the year and 2020 is upon us we should talk a little bit more in depth about TFSAs because I feel like they get a lot of attention this time of year yeah yeah and they're a good thing to utilize if you're able to for sure so I guess I wanted to start with kind of what is a TFSA what your experience has been with your TFSA how many TFSAs do you have that kind of stuff yeah I have one TFSA. I haven't needed more than one at this point. I mean, I might have a second investment kind of strategy that I use this year, but that'll just be to kind of expand on the ethical investing that we were talking about a little while ago. Yeah, and I guess that is one of the things that I wanted to bring up about the TFSA is you can have multiple TFSAs across, you know, many different institutions. And we'll get into that a little bit further in a, in a minute here. But I wanted to start off with what the TFSA actually is. And I think we've said this before in one of our previous episodes, but the TFSA stands for Tax-Free Savings Account. And I think I've also said that if it was up to me, I would change the savings to the investing to investing because I think that the power of the TFSA is really unlocked when you are, are actually investing that money Uh, within the TFSA, as opposed to just leaving it sitting in a savings account. So on that, I think there's a little bit of confusion sometimes around people thinking that they've bought TFSAs or bought RSPs. But really, when it comes down to it, I always tell people to think of the TFSA as an account. Mm -hmm. And then you put money in that account and you can decide whether or not you want that in just cash, like earning a savings rate. Or if you want to buy ETFs or stocks or bonds or GICs, you can do so kind of within that account or within, as you've mentioned, I think a couple of episodes ago within that specific plan. Yeah. Yeah. And I like thinking of it as a plan because it should like, I mean, as long as the whatever you're investing in or wherever you're saving it, as long as it has TFSA in front of it, you have the tax shelter there, right? Like you just have to ensure that when you're contributing, you are contributing to a TFSA plan and not over contributing and when you're moving funds from investment to investment or institution to institution or what have you that you're still keeping all the funds within the TFSA plan so from TFSA to TFSA and then you're fine and you know there is a form for Mm -hmm. that and that's the only way you can move it from TFSA to TFSA without causing or triggering any tax events or uh, withdrawals or contributions, that sort of a thing. So the TFSA has been around, I think, is it 10 years now? 2009. It's over 10 years, 11 years. years. And this year, the TFSA contribution room is $6,000. So that brings the total up. If you were 18 as of 2009 or born in 1991, that is the year I was born. So I was like right on the, I've been with the TFSA the whole time. I was 18 in 2009 you would have uh, $69,500 to Mm -hmm. contribute over your lifetime. Yeah. 
which is a huge amount of money. And if you like are in a relationship, that's basically $70,000 each that you guys can grow kind of Mm -hmm. tax free. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. And so when I think of the TFSA, I always think of like an umbrella kind of protecting from the taxes. So me too. Basically what the TFSA allows you to do is if you were to grow that $70,000 into $100,000, let's say, you would not pay tax on the difference between this the 70 and the 100. Whereas traditionally, if you had that money kind of just in a regular investment account, you would have to pay tax on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you want to go through some of the withdrawal and contribution rules just in case there's someone listening that doesn't necessarily know? Oh, sure. So for contribution, you would just want to make sure that you're not over-contributing. So hopefully you didn't hear the announcement about the 2026000 and just like dump 6000 bucks into your TFSA account in, uh, in December because that would have been over-contributing because it's still 2019. And then if you withdraw, if you're close to the maximum, whatever your individual maximum is, um, you have to wait till the next calendar year to contribute it back. But you do get that uh, contribution room back, so that's really nice. You just have to wait till the next calendar year. Yeah, and I think that's where some people get tripped up because I know I did, like, back back in the day. I think I ended up over contributing because I didn't understand that that amount you had to wait till the next calendar year for it to reset. Like I think it, I was really early on and it was like really early on in the TFSA, like it was maybe $5,000 back then or whatever, but yeah. And they will ding you. Mm-hmm. I think it's like 1% of the um, amount over the contribution limit per month mm-hmm. in penalties and fees so it can add up pretty quickly yeah it can get really expensive and yeah I just kind of think about it like I don't really look at my um TFSA contribution limits or anything like that until tax time because that's when the CRA is looking at it too and that's the only time they're looking at it so if you're not close to the maximum and you are putting money in and out and in and out just be aware of that CRA is not looking at this until the following year. So even if you end up with not a lot of money in your TFSA, but you have been contributing and withdrawing multiple times over the year, you can still end up in a like positive contribution sense from, from their perspective. And go over the limit. And go over the limit because they're not looking at it every single day the way you are. They're only touching base with it every year year, so just be aware of that it's it's something you should be have a plan for have a strategy for and not be using it the same way that you're using your savings account and to kind of cover your day-to-day spending it should be more similar to your rsp in that sense yeah definitely i would say longer term is is a better way to look at it and it is something that you should be tracking you should know how much contribution room you have you should know what withdrawals you've made CRA does track that and you can check it on CRA online. Mm-hmm. I've heard it's getting better in terms of accuracy, but I know a lot of people that have said like, that's not what I've like I've calculated. And then they end up over contributing and the CRA will still charge you penalties, even if their records are not up to date. Yeah. 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 Cause they're not taking um, accountability for that at all. And it's kind of based on like, the institution that you're dealing with like when they're reporting to them and all that kind of stuff too so yeah track it yourself take ownership of it and 
yeah, contribute on a basis that makes sense for you and schedule your withdrawals as well so that you don't end up in a um, over-contribution situation. And if you are, you know, needing to pull money out of your TFSA, I would say the best time to do it is like the last quarter of the year because then you get that contribution room back right away on January 1st. So if that's something that you're looking at planning financially this year, that would definitely be something to consider when it comes to that specific account. Yeah, and it's really nice like once you've built up your TFSA um, in terms of returns because you could have a TFSA with the, um, you know, actual value being significantly higher than your contribution limit. And then when you withdraw it, that actually increases your contribution room too. So yeah, that's something really important to point out. You only ever get to re-contribute what you pulled out. So Siri does not track your losses. So if you put $5,000 in and it goes down to 3,000 and then you pull $3,000 out, you only get to contribute 3,000 in the future. So be careful of that. But as Tara mentioned, if you grow it to a large sum of money and you pull it out, then you still get that contribution room back, even if it's bigger than the the contribution limit of the TFSA. Yeah. And I was just, I think on Instagram the other day and I saw someone show the calculation that if you had earned 7% every year, and maxed out your TFSA every year, you would have, by the end of 2020, your TFSA would be worth, I think it was like $109,000, which I Mm -hmm. thought was awesome. And I think, you know, should be something that everyone is kind of looking to to leverage and use. Yeah. Well, and you can can look at that, and you're basically, um, you've got a tax-free income source as well. So one of the things that I might be, looking to use some of the returns for my TFSA in the near future is to like buy a new car when my 10 year old one finally quits on us here. So it's, it's something to consider. I know it's going to increase my contribution room without necessarily affecting my principal contributions. Yeah, for sure. And so just quickly, if you wanted to max out that $6,000 this year in 2020, and you aren't having to really play catch up, you're looking at, you know, contributing about $500 a month. So Mm -hmm. setting up an automatic transfer of $250 maybe every two weeks or every time you get paid is a great way to make sure that you are, you know, leveraging that TFSA contribution room and starting to set yourself up for financial success down the road. Yeah. Yeah. When it comes to investing within your TFSA, I'm curious, you know, what you are invested in, what kind of returns you've seen, uh, whether you're looking at, you know, kind of dividend passive income investments there or your more growth mentality. It's honestly, like, I'll, I'll be very honest, it's in very similar fund to my uh, RSP and even my kids' RESP. It's more focused on growth. It's equity heavy. Um I haven't looked at the returns lately. It's been about average, I would imagine, like average for what my uh, my RRSP and my RESP has been making. So yeah, I pulled mine. I don't know. I don't think I can pull it for year end yet. I don't think they've calculated that. But mm-hmm. kind of up to and including November, I pulled my TFSA rate of return. Um, so I have a TFSA with Quest Trade and that's where I do kind of all of my investing mm-hmm. for, you know, self-directed DIY investing and that's where that's sitting and same with my husband's. Um, I'm invested in five 
ish ETF, same with mm-hmm. him. And then I have some single stocks as well. And when I pulled it, I was, I guess, pleasantly surprised, but um, it showed that over the past year, it had returned about 20%. So that was... That's really good. Yeah, no, it was great. And so when I think about, you know, that 7% is what you need to kind of get a six-figure portfolio, Mm -hmm. you know, seeing 20%, which is totally doable, Mm -hmm. obviously, if the market cooperates. But I think people should be, you know, trying to at least get that double-digit returns on their TFSAs and... So when you were calculating the 20%, were you calculating it based on like where you were at December of last year? So like what was your annual return at December last year? So think? I would have to take a look at that, but this was what Quest Trade kind of had calculated oh. for. So I'm sure it took into account like dividends and okay. those being reinvested within the ETFs that I've purchased and value obviously increasing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So awesome. that was a good happy end to 2019 financially yeah, that's great really cool yeah now I did pull this is where I think it kind of starts to get interesting we've talked a little bit about you know what the TFSA is and how you should invest it and you know what it's useful for um and I think Tara and I both agree that we've both leveraged the TFSA for more long-term financial planning but I wanted to pull some statistics to talk about kind of Canadians as a whole and Albertans and how they're using the TFSA. And then I kind of wanted to talk about who it kind of helps and hurts. So I pulled some statistics here. And my first thing that I thought was really interesting was that 14 million people in Canada have TFSAs. And 19 million TFSAs are open. So that means most people have, I guess on average, it would be one4 TFSAs. So you have one. I think I have two or three. Um, like I said before we started recording, I think one of them has like 38 cents or, or something in it. But there are people that have like up to 10 or more TFSAs, which if that's you, there's actually 4,000 uh, people in Canada who have more than 10 TFSAs. You may want to look at um, potentially kind of streamlining that. I'm not sure what the, the fees would be on some of those things. Yeah, I just don't know why you'd have, you know, each um, time I have a different fund, it should be for a different purpose. And right now, I don't have that many differing goals to bring me to to different funds, right? So if I Or different accounts, because I think you can have multiple, like mutual funds within one TFSA, right? Like you could have five different mutual funds in a TFSA. Yeah. So these people with 10 TFSAs, they they could technically have like... 20 different strategies or something like that because yeah, like I don't know why I just don't know why you would have more than that one also or two seems strategies like on the go an administrative nightmare in terms of trying to figure out because the contribution room is across all of your TFSAs yeah. so you could have 50 TFSAs but then you have to track it yeah. on all of them so I don't know if these are just like people that open them and never like close them and moved their money or something or yeah and that they've got a couple pennies in there or something like that but yeah yeah. Crazy days, because I feel like at most I would maybe have three different sort of strategies for yeah. my TFSA, a short-term, medium, and long-term goal. And then after that, I feel Just like kind of seems get... repetitive. Exactly, right? The other statistic that I thought in, was interesting from an Alberta standpoint was the number of TFSAs that are actually maxed out. 
And in Alberta, it is 162,000 people have their TFSAs maxed out, which is actually quite a bit lower than a lot of other provinces, which I thought was interesting. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe speaks to how Albertans are spending their money because there was 1.4 million Canadians that had maxed out their contributions. Mm-hmm. So out of the 14 million, 1.4 have maxed out and then only 162,000 Albertans, which is also interesting to think about because Albertans on average have the highest incomes across Canada. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And so I kind of, I wonder about that. So is it um, a spending issue with the higher incomes is it that the expenses like the living expenses are just higher or I'd kind of like to see the distribution on that because we know that like average can be um, significantly influenced by outliers and stuff like that but but this is maxed out right so they would have had to hit that threshold it's a go or no go right yeah, oh yeah, but um, so to like have the highest income earners here, like do we just yeah. have a lot of folks earning millions? Know, millions, or do we have a lot of like very affluent individuals that are pulling that mean yeah. higher? Um, and then in terms of like the distribution of folks that are actually maximizing their TFSAs, do we just have a lot of like very wealthy people living outside of Alberta maximizing their TFSAs? Yeah, those are all great questions. I thought maybe to mention uh, Quebec had 300,000 people. Mm. Ontario had 560,000 people that had maxed out their their TFSAs. And BC had 227,000. So we're... Okay, so say that again. Quebec? Quebec, Ontario, Ontario. BC, Uh and that's it. Okay. So we're fourth. I wonder if that has to do with out of like coming back to out of pocket expenses as well. Like, BC insurance is less than ours. Um, like, I guess when I think of BC, I think of Vancouver. Vancouver is mm-hmm. very expensive to live in. True, and we don't know what the distributions are in terms of like where they're living within the province. But I'm kind of thinking of like what does the province cover? Like, yeah, what are sure. the differences there? Like, what are the healthcare differences? What are the the basics, because I was thinking of like BC auto insurance and yeah. stuff like that, and BC health insurance. And, no, it's definitely yeah. interesting to think about, and I, I'm sure there's a lot of factors that kind of, I guess, manipulate that, but mm-hmm. I would say to any people that are listening, especially I think we have a lot of Albertan listeners, like focusing on that TFSA and getting that thing maxed out so that it can be a six-figure account, I think is really important, and mm-hmm. if you're uncertain of how all the TFSA stuff works. There's lots of, you know, resources available online or, you know, talking to even someone at a financial institution. Yeah. Well, and it might be a mentality thing too. Like, oh, well, we're from a high income earning province. I'm a high income earner, so I should be able to spend my money rather than save it. Yeah. That could be a a portion too. So the last statistic that I wanted to bring up, and this is where a little bit of math was involved, was the dollar value of the contributions to the TFSA. So across Canada, $61 billion have been contributed to TFSAs in those, I guess, 14 million or 19 million accounts. And the total market value, again, this is as of 2017, because Siri doesn't have any um, updated information. It was 
a fair market value of $276 billion of value in the TFSA. So if we think about that and, you know, being someone who's a little obsessed with taxes, that means that there is, I guess, $215 billion of capital gains that were never taxed within Mm -hmm. those accounts. And because the capital gains inclusion rate is 50%, we would take half of that and then apply a tax rate. I know this is like a little complex, but I just used 50% for that as well. So we come down to $53 billion of tax revenue that was never collected because of the TFSA. Yeah, which is, yeah, kind of interesting. And I'd kind of like to dig into, um, you know, what your thoughts are of like, if we had collected that 53 some odd billion dollars, do you think it would have been used for positive change for like the most marginalized or Canadians, that kind of thing? Like, would it have helped us progress forward rather than like creating these tax shelters for everybody? Because something that we like haven't talked about is like utilization is of the TFSA is more easily done by people who already have a lot of money. So like the TFSA doesn't do a lot for people who are living on the edge that lost tax revenue. Maybe it could have been used to better our society in a different way. Yeah. I mean, I would loved to have seen it go towards low income housing in places like BC and Alberta, where there is a lot of homelessness and it gets really cold. I think that when the TFSA first started out, a lot of people are kind of just like, eh, it's $5,000. Like, what does that do? So it might have helped lower income people more. But now that it's at $70,000, I mean, you can't just come up with $70,000 if you're making $30,000 a year. Like, that's impossible. So I think, honestly, the government is probably going to have to look over the next couple of years to cap the TFSA because yeah. this can't like that was $53 billion for 2017. Mm-hmm. We have now another $12,000 of contribution room on top of that for 2018. Oh, no, more. 2018, 19, and 2020. Mm-hmm. So the amount of, I guess, missed tax revenue is going to increase exponentially as those accounts continue to grow. Like, I made, I made 20%, and that's yeah. never going to be taxed. For those individuals that are already the folks that have, you know billions of dollars in invested assets those kind of things having this as a growing advantage knowing that the people who are most on the brink financially will never be able to utilize this plan it says something about like where we are morally as well right for sure yeah and you know when the i think it was the was it the conservatives that um, said the $10,000 limit or whatever for that one year? Oh, yeah. That, tried to double it. Yeah, yeah that yeah. really only, as the TFSA grows, helps rich people. And I guess from a, a gendered lens, it definitely is going to help men more than it helps women. Because, again, we've talked about this ad nauseum, but it, women make less money than men. So they're going to have less money to save and less mm-hmm. money to invest. So it's more likely that it would be men that are maxing out their mm-hmm. TFSAs. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean, I think when the TFSA first came out, I was really excited about it for lower income earners because of the flexibility, because you didn't have to, you know, if you hit hard times, 
um, if you were the one one of the people that are in precarious work that are most likely to be first affected in an economic downturn, you didn't have to cash in RSPs if you had you know scrimped and saved to actually save up anything in an RSP. Hundred percent. And you know take that. And then be taxed on it. Um, taxed immediately too, because like you're taxed at source of a certain percentage, and then taxed um, taxed at the end of the year on anything you withdraw. So I, I or anything you withdrew. So I really really liked that, given the flexibility for people who needed to have some more creative cash flow with their savings. But now, eh, the way it's kind of played out, it it is really increasing income inequality and wealth distribution. And for those people who are inheriting their wealth and at 18 are able to start maxing out their TFSAs, um, it's such a huge difference. Like if we compared uh, a low-income 18-year-old in 2020 to an affluent 18-year-old in 2020 and having the same contribution limits going forward, yeah. Or even like look at, I'm a great example, I'm 28 I have $70,000 worth of contribution room and I, you know, I grew up in uh, middle to upper class. I have a great job, but if you look at someone who is 28 and, you know, maybe they didn't go to post-secondary or they've had different circumstances than I have and they aren't making the salary that I'm making, there's no possible way for them to max Mm -hmm. out that $70,000 if they had, let's say, never contributed before, because let's be honest, it's expensive in your 20s to Mm -hmm. live and finding 5000 or 6000 or $10,000 a year sometimes isn't possible. Yeah, yeah. Especially for someone who, say, like, didn't have parents, you know, at all. I mean, not even, like, parents that could support you, but didn't have parents at all when you turned 18. Like, even if you were able to um, graduate from high school, that may have been a struggle. The, the TFSA could just be completely unattainable. For sure. I mean, if they went to university and had student loan debt, that could, you know, be mm-hmm. another area where they're focusing so I think there will need to be some conversations, in my opinion, in the next couple of years here. We're getting dangerously close to $100,000. And I think, I mean, I think it's probably fine where it is now. $70,000 is a lot of money to be able to grow tax-free. But mm-hmm. 100000 six figures, like, I think that's got to be the cap. Yeah. I think I would have liked to see it change several years ago, too, to look at something where it was, uh, you know, based on your income and sort of Mm, in the way that our like marginal tax brackets and stuff work maybe it would be kind of like reverse like give those who already have a higher income or uh, a larger amount of wealth give them less contribution room going forward and then give the folks that need this account for um, a tax shelter and the flexibility to use the returns give them more room yeah you know what's to say to have it like kind of like a reverse tier of where our tax structure is yeah that's an interesting way of thinking about it I actually really like that because yeah. again you know giving someone who has millions of dollars seventy thousand dollars they're just going to take that and turn to their you know financial advisor and have or be able to pay an expert to turn that into hundreds of thousands mm-hmm. of dollars where, again, there's probably going to be an education gap. Um, they're not going to be able to find $70,000 just laying around if you are, you know, not a mm-hmm. multimillionaire. Yeah. Well, and I think it incentivizes um, people who are very wealthy already to then hoard that money. Totally. Because once you remove it from the plan, then you have 
you know, tax consequences if you invested elsewhere. And it doesn't incentivize you to spend any of the wealth that you already have. Absolutely. Which is a, a growing problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think that's kind of all we had for this episode on the TFSA. One thing I wanted to mention for 2020 is, you know, starting to educate yourself on the TFSA if that is something of interest to you. And, you know, no one is saying that you have to have your TFSA maxed out by the end of the year. But, you know, even just taking baby steps, opening an account, starting Mm -hmm. to save and starting to invest in it is, you know, going to help you in the long run. So I would say that the the pink tax rebate for this episode would be to get an understanding of where where your TFSA stands. So whether that's calculating your contribution limit for 2020 or even just reconciling how many different TFSA accounts you have and maybe closing the ones you don't necessarily need. Those are all great first steps into ensuring that you're able to start to get some value from that account that uh, the government, I guess, has provided for us. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. As always, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and leave a five-star review. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to share your money story using the hashtag FemFinances.